Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 452 with Nick Hayes. Nick is a former Navy SEAL who has some real great perspectives on how to elevate your performance and push yourself to get to your maximum potential. Unleash, so you'll learn one, how to conquer large goals by celebrating the tiniest of victories. Two, how to find gratitude in the most unpleasant of circumstances. And three, how to tune out that yeah, but voice inside your head. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over to awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep452. Now here's Nick's story. Nick Hayes is a former Navy SEAL and his operating days came to an end when he ruptured a disc while preparing for an operation in Afghanistan. Disillusioned, broken, and without a means to provide for his family, Nick was left without a purpose in life. But after recovery, his training kicked in and he remembered the lessons learned from the SEAL teams and put them to the test with professional athletes. He's helped train the Miami Heat and helped the Atlanta Falcons to a Super Bowl. Nick holds a BA from the University of Maryland, a master's in business from the University of San Diego, and a postgraduate degree from Harvard Business School. He now resides in California with his wife, Ivy, and their three children. So thanks to Nick for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Nick. Nick, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, I'm excited too. Well, and could we get started perhaps with a thrilling tale of your adventures in the Navy SEALs? And feel free to um, anonymize anything you need to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff that happened. Some Some high points and some low points. I think, you know, one of the most impactful things that happened while I was in the SEAL teams was, and it was in my first platoon, I was one of those guys that needed an extra little bit of love, right? Um, I don't I don't think that a, a young frogman is anywhere as cocky as he is in right after he's gotten out of training and has done nothing yet. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the most cocky you'll ever be. And I was no exception. Uh-huh. I... Uh, uh, <laughs> It's a funny story, but I, I showed up to a morning meeting one time. We're training for this uh, this mission, and everything's pretty pretty locked tight as far as the schedule. And I, I show up a couple minutes late. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but you know, when you're a new guy in the teams, you're you're 15 minutes early or you're late. That's kind of a rule. And I had I had broken that. So my platoon chief at the time. Now a platoon chief is somebody who has the most experience in the group. 
Um, you know, so he's, he's the person everybody listens to. Well, he told me, hey, you know, stick around after this. Not a big deal. Um, but, you know, I need to talk to you. So we wrap up the morning meeting. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. And he tells me, hey, man, it's not a big deal, but obviously you got to pay the man, you know, a little bit of a punishment. He goes, I'm not mad, but just make sure that you make up for it by grabbing a rucksack, which is, you know, military speak for backpack, right? And fill it full of 50 pounds and run up the Paraloft Tower, which is a five-story building. And he says, do that one time for every guy in the platoon because you made them late. So, you know, I think it's just a good way to pay it back. Now I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, there's no way um, this guy's being, being real with me. That's, that's a tremendous amount of work. Punishment doesn't really <laughs> fit the crime. You know, I was, I was angry, but kept my mouth shut. And I went downstairs and grabbed a rucksack and uh, put 50 pounds in it. And he, he knew what I was doing. He followed me down. And he was like, Nick, you can't do that right now, man. Like in place of your workout, you got to do it after work or else it's not even a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, come on, let's go hit chest. So we actually went and worked out together. Never brought it up again. You know, the day goes on. At the time I was uh, working with the SDV, it's a, it's a miniature submarine. So it's incredibly technical work. There's a lot to do before you ever even do your training mission. Um, so it's, it's a full day of dive rigs and technical stuff. We finally splash in the water. The sun's gone down. It's like seven or eight o'clock at night because we're training for a night dive. I'm piloting the SDV, cold, wet, miserable, all that stuff, thinking about this punishment that I have in front of me the entire time. It was, it was similar to like when your child gets in trouble and you tell them, hey, go wait in your room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was me waiting in the room, um, just thinking about it. So we recover. It's probably midnight. Insult to injury. It's raining, you know. Um, just miserable. Now I have to get all my gear ready to go. Um, I have to freshwater rinse the dive rigs. And we're talking about another hour of work. Finally, I go and I grab my rucksack and I'm walking over to the Paraloft Tower, steaming mad. I could not have been more angry than I was in that moment. And I saw something that I didn't know what to take. I, I saw my chief, Jim, sitting over there by the door of the tower so now I'm thinking, okay, is he, does he not trust me? Is this an integrity thing? Is he going to be sitting here with a stopwatch saying, <laughs> saying, hey, go faster? Is this a beat session? What's about to happen? And I was, I was livid, man. But as I got closer, I saw that he actually had a rucksack sitting next to him. When, when I walked up to him, he throws the rucksack on his back. And he was like, all right, man, you ready to hit this thing? And I said, Jim, what are you doing, man? And he said, oh, dude, we're in this together. I'm your leader. Like we're in it together. Your successes are my successes. Your failures are my failures. So let's get this done. And he takes off up the tower. Now I'm like sprinting to catch up to him. Mind completely blown about what had just happened. He never brought it up again. That was the only thing he said about it. And he ran every single flight of stairs with me that night. It took a very long time. (laughs) When we were done with it, I gave him a hug and I just told him how much he meant to me. And for me, that was the course correction that I needed. And and what he did in that moment was he grabbed a hold of me. It wasn't about being two minutes late. It wasn't about, you know, some operational military plus or minus a minute on time, every time kind of stuff. That's not what he was doing. He grabbed a hold of me and he said, Nick, you're mine. I'm going to mentor you. For the rest of that platoon, I made my gear look exactly like his gear, you know, I, I kept my magazines in the same place. I kept my 
medical equipment in the same place. I emulated everything about him because I figured, hey, this guy has like seven deployments. Maybe I can save some time if I just listen to him, you know? And I had the value of a mentor moving forward. Now, we went on to, to get medals together to do some pretty amazing stuff. And like even before going out the door on a mission, you know, he and I just kind of stepped aside, said a quick prayer, and, and we were still in it together that entire time. To me, that was the difference between being a good SEAL or a bad SEAL. Like I needed a mentor to grab a hold of me and say, hey, we're running full speed and we're doing it together. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because, well, one, just sort of the self-sacrifice and like on top of all the stuff to do that. And two, just sort of the intuition, like he clearly figured out that's what you needed and delivered in a powerful way. 100%. Yeah, 100%. We're, we're still close friends to this day. I still run stuff past him. And you know, what I learned in that moment wasn't necessarily, it was bigger than needing a mentor then. It's, it's something that, it was a process that I knew I needed in my life. I knew that I was going to need a mentor moving forward. So when I separated from the military, I was looking at this new mission, this new thing. You know, I'm looking at business. I'm looking at all this stuff that's coming my way. And I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I need a mentor. <laughs> so the first thing I did was reach out to as many people as I could that, um, and I had some criteria. You know, I wanted people that didn't mind having the hard conversations, people that would keep me in check. I knew, I knew what I liked about a mentor. You know, I like dissent. I like someone that can, can push back and isn't going to tell me attaboy, but instead is going to tell me how to be better. You know, like it's something I get from the special operations mindset, but you know, you don't want to be right. You want to be better. It's not, Hey, this is the way we've always done it. It's how can we do it better? So I, I needed that in my life as I made that transition. And because of that, man, I, same story. I saved a lot of learning curve costs. I had support when I needed it. Um, there were multiple times when, you know, something that now in hindsight looks like I must have done something right. But really, it was just my mentor, somebody who, who loves me and cares about me, opening doors and making something happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think it convicts me. Like at any given point, you, you have to have a mentor and you have to be a mentor. You have to be a mentor at the same time. You have to give it back. And a lot of people say, hey, no, it's, you know, I'm too young. I don't know enough, you know, all these disqualifying statements. But man, I see my seven-year-old daughter mentor my five-year-old son all the time, all the time. And he needs it. It helps me out. So it might be somebody who's just behind you. You might be a high school and college. You might be a project manager on the job or you might be C-suite. doesn't matter. You need to be mentoring people and you need a mentor in your life. It's, it's a valuable lesson that I learned early and I'm so thankful for that, man, because it's helped me out tremendously. Mm-hmm. Well, in your book, Elite High Performance Lessons and Habits from a former Navy SEAL, it sounds like you share a number of these high performance lessons. And I'd love to hear kind of, is there a central theme or a thesis that ties them all together? Right. Like, like what is it to be elite? You know, that's, I, I named the book that for a reason. We, you know, we think about uh, the SEAL teams and, and we think elite. It's synonymous with it. We think about Harvard Business School, we think elite. Um, you know, we think about some of these professional sports teams, we think elite. So what are some of the things that I've seen at all of those venues um, that everybody has in common? And I think the, the central theme is this, is that like when, when you look up and out your window right now, every organism that you're looking at, in fact, every organism on this planet is either growing or dying. There is no status quo. There is no staying the same. It can't be done in nature. You're either growing or dying. And the people who are committed to growing, to being better tomorrow than they are today, 
are the elite. It's not about having arrived. It's about the process. It's about the desire to be uncomfortable, to try new things, to push yourself, right? Um, I think if we consider ourselves kind of a rock, you know, we're like this stone. And the only way that we're going to become a statue, something that we would call elite, is to allow the hammer and chisel to, to strip away the rough edges, to strip away the stuff that doesn't matter. Now, that can come in the form of efficiency. It can come in the form of structure in your life and how you structure your relationships. It can come through being thankful instead of afraid. You know, all these, all these concepts are certainly within the book, but it all ties back to that central theme, which is you must be committed to growing. And it's going to be painful. Growing is always painful, but it is better than dying. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting turn of a phrase there. Growing is painful, but it's better than dying. And that's <laughs> the only alternative. So then I'd love to get your take on this. So our natural inclination is to avoid discomfort. That, you know, discomfort is not something we desire, naturally speaking, for the most part. So how does one make that shift either globally or in one particular context or project? Right. That's, that's a great way to say it. Um, you can't play guitar without calluses on your fingers, right? If you want to get strong, you go to the gym. If you want to learn how to play guitar, you need to build the calluses because that's the only way that your fingers can withstand the pressure of the strings. It always starts with something small, but the small things lead to something big, you know? Kind of a common buzzword phrase out there is that, you know, thoughts become beliefs, beliefs become actions, and then actions become habits. So we can't start by looking at the habits. Yes, we want these things to be imprinted in our life, right? We want to, to be comfortable being uncomfortable. But the only way to get there is to start with the thought. You gotta be thinking it. You gotta be looking for ways to challenge yourself. And I'll tell you right now, man, if you're intimidated by something, that is an excellent indicator that it's exactly what you should be doing. If you're a little bit scared, if you're a little bit intimidated, that's a great indicator that that's something that's going to lead to personal growth. That thought is going to become a belief and that belief will eventually become actions. It's something that I am constantly trying to push myself with every day. You know, it's never over. And I'm a young guy. I've accomplished a few things at this stage of life, but man, I'm young. I'm just getting started. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, what's intimidating me right now? So here's, here's me putting my money where my mouth is. Um, you know, the book is obviously an example of this, and I, I could speak to that as well, coming out with the book and, and, and what that means, how, how challenging that is, especially coming from a special operations background. Um, and it definitely makes you uncomfortable. But now, you know, the book's out, everything's fun, it's good, doing podcasts. I'm like, I'm comfortable, I'm good. So I'm like, check, I, what can I do right now? What can I do today? that's going to make me better tomorrow. One thing that I started thinking with, with the help of a buddy, um, he, he was walking me through. He's like, why do you like doing what you're doing? What, what do you enjoy about being a public speaker? And, you know, I said two things. One, getting on stage is a way for me to kind of supplement the feeling I used to have when I was jumping out of airplanes. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Um, it's exciting. It gives me purpose and passion. And all that, but man, I always gauge the audience by how much I can make them laugh. It's like the only feedback that you can get when you're speaking, right? You can't see the impact on someone's face, but you can definitely get their laughter. Especially when they get the bright stage lights going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can't see anything. <laughs> you're hot. Uh -huh. So, you know, I'm looking at this and he goes, dude, why don't you do a stand up comedy set? You like making people laugh. When he said that, I got so scared. Just the mere mention of that 
grabbing a microphone, getting up in front of people with the sole purpose of being funny. Because I can rely on, I can fall back to motivation and structure and practices and the fact that I've been doing this a long time and I know the material, right? Um, but this is something entirely different. And it, it set me off kilter. I was intimidated. And I said, you know what? That's a great indicator that this is exactly what I should do. So I reached out to a buddy of mine who's connected with the comedy club and a, a really prestigious comedy club too, actually, the comedy store in Beverly Hills. It's like top notch, right? And this guy's a young comic, just getting started, really great guy. And I hit him out on, uh, I hit him up on direct message. And I was like, hey man, I want to do a set. You know, what, what do I need to do here? And he goes, oh, meet my buddy. You know, he does the, does the booking for, for the store. I was like, okay, well, I was expecting, you know, Poughkeepsie, not, <laughs> not LA. Um, but I reached out to the guy and he was like, yeah, we'd love to have you on this and that. So I went ahead and booked my first stand-up comedy uh, special. So not special, um, like I'm going to get up there for 10 minutes, you know. But I had it booked within like 15 minutes of coming up with the idea. And now I'm on the hook. Now I have to prepare. Now I have to get out there and perform. And now I'm excited again. It, it just injects passion, you know, back into to the routine. Um, so that's me putting my money where my mouth is right there. And it's tough, man. It's, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared of it. But it, that's, like I said, it's an indicator that it's exactly what I need to be doing for personal growth. I'm going to grow as a speaker. I'm going to grow as a person. You know, it, it, I could bomb. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because my thoughts are becoming beliefs and those beliefs are becoming actions. You know, that's an interesting point you brought up there with regard to if you're scared, it's a good indicator that it's something worth doing because the scariness, the discomfort is associated with that growth territory unfolding. So I'm wondering, is there any distinction between the type of fear or scary sensation that means, oh, yes, let's do that versus no, this is wise, prudential caution <laughs> that you should not do that. I love that. Yeah, you have to say it, right? Because I always ask people, like, is fear good or bad? Is fear a good thing or a bad thing? And most people will say, well, it depends. And that's the only appropriate answer. It depends. You know, you consider the, the cavemen back in the day, you know, and they're, they're looking around like, if you're not afraid of the saber-toothed tiger, now I don't know if they're saber-toothed back then, but you know, the, the threat, um, the threat. If you're not afraid of that, then maybe you're not going to sleep in the cave. Maybe you're not going to roll a rock in front of it. Maybe you're not going to take precautions in your life and contingencies in your plan that are going to keep you from being destroyed. You know, fear is good when it leads to positive action. But what if that same caveman was so petrified from the fear of outside that he stays in the cave and refuses to eat? Mm -hmm. Now you have 30 days to live. Fear is bad when it leads to you being stagnant, stale, and immobilized. That's when fear is a bad thing. Fear is a good thing when it causes you to build contingencies into your plan and to hedge against possible threats. There's a duality to it. It is both good and bad. And that's something that you should always weigh when you're trying to make these decisions, right? Am I improving my situation or is my situation in decline? Am I growing or dying? Is this going to lead to an improvement or not? And it's that simple, you know? So when you're afraid of something, ask yourself that. Am I afraid of having this hard conversation with someone at work simply because I don't like conflict? Mm -hmm. Or is there another implication here? Something I need to be concerned of? Is there more to this story? What is the source of that fear? And it's simply because you don't want conflict. Guess what? You got to do it. You have to have that conversation. The person's going to thank you for it. The relationship's going to grow. The company's going to benefit. I hear you. Yes. So I dig what you had to say with regard to, you know, the thoughts become actions, become habits, you become character, become destiny, 
or maybe I'm mixing from other sources. <laughs> but um, yeah. so you've got a couple little teasers in your book about how we can take control of our thoughts, become mentally tough, guard our mind. So I'd love to focus in on that. So you've shared a couple tips there with regard to just one, recognizing and reinterpreting fear and being scared. So that's great. Uh, what are some of your other best practices that you suggest for professionals who are looking to gain some additional control over their thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, intimidation, I think, can be, can be a bad deal. You know, it's sometimes we want something professionally that we're not quite there. You know, like if I want to be a power lifter and I want to jump under 300 pounds on the bench press and I haven't trained for it, I will be crushed by the 300 pounds. You know, that's the business professional who wants to be CEO. Like, dude, you got a long way to go. Don't focus on the end, right? Um, one thing that helped me get through some of our training, you know, SEAL training, there's this portion of it, um, the selection process, it's uh, called Hell Week. So in Hell Week, it's a tremendous goal. You want to get through this week. It's by far the biggest crucible on, on the road to becoming a Navy SEAL. And during that week, you don't sleep for like five and a half days. You know, you're putting on somewhere close to 200 miles. You're, you're lifting logs with your buddies, you know, running with boats on your head, getting um, like close to hypothermia by sitting in the water until you're just freezing cold. And, and people quit all the time. People quit all the time. And sometimes I'll ask people, hey, what day do you think? If it starts on Sunday and ends on Friday, what day do you think they're going to quit? And a lot of people say, oh, well, like Thursday, Thursday. But no, man. I mean, it's up front. On Monday, when you're looking at Friday, that's, that's too far away. You're already too miserable. You're going to start telling yourself that you can't make it. If you focus on, on the end, the outcome, um, instead of the process of how you're going to get there, it will undermine you. So one of the tricks that they actually taught us while we were there, um, they actually gave us the answers, which was cool, um, was to make bigger things small, right? So if I'm looking at the end of the week, it's not going to work for me. But how can I break that down into smaller, more attainable segments that I can actually deal with mentally? You know, one of those tricks was, you know, hey, think about your next hot meal. They feed you really well in that program. They feed you really well because you burn in so many calories. So if I can just think, hey, I just got to get to the next meal. Now it's going to be nice and warm in there. I'm with my buddies. We're telling jokes. Get a little bit of reprieve from the action, right? But there's times when that next meal is too far away. It's too far away. I need something better. <laughs> like mm -hmm. if I'm sitting there in the water and I'm just like, feel like I'm dying in the water, I can tell myself, hey, I just have to get to the next evolution. If I can just get to, you know, back on land when we're running around and everything else, then I'll, I'll warm up. My body's going to warm up. And it works. But sometimes... Still, it's just not enough. You know, like log PT is a portion where you're lifting telephone poles up over your head and stuff, and it's, it's pretty crazy. Well, at times your shoulders are so full of lactic acid and you're just dying and you're thinking, man, I can't lift this thing one other time. Well, you can break it down even smaller and say, hey, they can't work shoulders forever. They're going to have to work legs soon or we're going to experience casualties, right? <laughs> All I have to do is get to legs, get to legs. You know, you, you could break that all the way down to, you know, if you've ever done an intense mountain climb, you know, like one more step, one more step, break it down to a level that you can actually accomplish what you're, you're trying to accomplish. Cause then mentally you get a win and then you get a win and then you get a win. And now you're a winner. It doesn't matter how far away this goal is anymore, hmm. man, you're a winner and you're crushing this thing. Right. 
Um, I think that's one of the, one of the best things that you can do. So how do you apply that to your professional life? Right. Kind of like, okay, writing a book, I, I want to be a published author. So how do I, how do I accomplish that? It's too much. It's too much to look at. If you look at the end at the outcome instead of the process, it's going to lead to fear and you're never going to put pen to paper. You can't do it. You have to break that down and say, Hey, here's what I can do today. That's going to ultimately get me to my goal. Break it down into smaller, more attainable goals. Like, hey, all I need today is to write for an hour. That's all I have to do. Mm -hmm. That's like taking one more step, right? And then you get a win. You made a a mental contract with yourself and you kept it. If I said, hey, I'm going to write for eight hours today and then I learn a thing or two and I'm like, that's not how inspiration works. um, I can readjust, you know, it's important. Stay there for eight hours. Don't lie to yourself. But once you you check that box, say, okay, I got to reassess. Um, I think at three hours, I felt pretty good. So I think I can accomplish three hours. So you adjust that goal, but now you're still moving towards, like, I didn't know how painful it would be to go through a developmental editor during the writing process when I started writing. And I'm glad that I didn't know that Mm -hmm. because that was by far the most painful part of the process. When you develop this baby and then hand it over to someone and their entire job is to rip it apart. It's painful. It hurts your pride. I mean, you're going to try to get the person fired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's rough, man. But that's exactly what the book needs. That's the, that's taking the stone, putting hammer to chisel to the stone, and removing the rough edges. That's exactly what's going to create the statue that you're looking for, the elite image that you're looking for. Um, but you can't think about that when you're free writing. You just have to free write. And then once you're in the developmental editing process, check, I can break that down in smaller, more attainable goals and just chalk up win after win after win. I mean, we could apply that to any scenario in, in business or in your home life, um, in your professional development, in your personal development, in your physical development. It just works. That's really inspiring and transformational. I think if you can freely digest and internalize that. And so I guess what I'm thinking, in order to make that really count such that okay, you took one more step, therefore you are a winner. Like you have accomplished the goal of one more step. I think that there's also a mental thing that can occur. It was like, well, yeah, but that wasn't really much of anything. It was just one more step. So how do you like genuinely, I guess, celebrate or commemorate or make real and present to yourself on the inside that, uh, yeah, that was a real victory and it's worth something. And I am more of a winner as a result of that, even though it was tiny. I'm so glad that you, you said that. That is the perfect question, um, especially for me, because oh, that's something I struggle with daily. I don't have that figured out. Um, I do it to myself all the time. And, and here's kind of how that, that thought process works for me. You know, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I made it through SEAL training, but I got rolled back. I couldn't even swim. Yeah, I became a Navy SEAL, but, you know, I didn't really get to do exactly what I wanted to do. So I ended up contracting. And doing more of that. Yeah, I contract, but then I, then I got hurt pretty quick, you know, ended up busting my back up and had to get a surgery, you know, but yeah, I, I went to business school, but you know, at the same time, like it was kind of a hybrid, didn't even have to take my GMAT, no big deal. Yeah. I worked with a professional sports team. They went to the Super Bowl, but they didn't even win. I mean, they didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah, I went to, I went to Harvard, but re- I mean, really, come on, you know, I, I kind of, I don't even know how they let me in there. Yeah, I wrote a book. And by the end of it, and you start looking at it, you're like, dude, I've done a lot of amazing things. Why am I disqualifying everything that I've done mentally? Like, how do I just sit back and resonate in the fact that 
Um, none of those things came easy between every bullet point on that resume. The, the resume looks sick, right? Right. But I just know myself so well. And between every single one of those bold bullet points came a thousand failures, a thousand setbacks. Me talking trash to myself and listening to that little demon sitting on the shoulder, right? Um, all these things. And I can take joy and pride in the fact that I didn't let that stop me. And I just kept moving forward. Right. See, that's taking a process that resulted in the success and celebrating the process. And now I can apply that process uh, further on in my life. I'm pretty much quoting Carol Dweck right now in that book, uh, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. I know I'm not supposed to talk about other people's books when I'm talking about mine, but I'm a reader, (laughs) so I do it all the time. But yeah, she's talking about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Um, When you can celebrate a process instead of the outcome, then your identity is built around finding new ways to do things, not having done everything a certain way. Yeah, you know, I really dig that. And I think what's so fun for listeners, if they're hearing the yeah, but, and just laughing at how absurd it sounds, it's great because, you know, I recognize some of myself in that. I remember I did a triathlon. At first I was like, yeah, but it's just a sprint distance triathlon. It's not a real triathlon. (laughs) And then I did a a full Olympic distance triathlon. I was like, yeah, but my IT band was hurting. So I was walking during part of the run. So I didn't really do a triathlon if a part (laughs) of it is walking. And it's just like, well, hey, time out. Like, (laughs) that's nuts. (laughs) It is nuts. I mean, I did all that prep. Or it's like, oh yeah, I wrote two books, but you know, I self-published them. So yeah, it doesn't really count. Right. And all these things. Well, yeah, my, you know, my podcast you know, has 7 million downloads, but you know, I, I just had a lucky break randomly getting some iTunes rankings for no discernible reason early on. And it's sort of like, it's nuts. And I'm trying to kind of pinpoint the specific absurdity or fallaciousness, if that's a word, of it. And I think it's kind of like, it sort of discounts all of your effort and attention and labor and gives 100% of the credit to the opportunity or the exception, you know, like you didn't have to take the GMAT, whatever. I mean, I'm sure that the program that you did assumed that you were super awesome already and thus the GMAT was unnecessary. (laughs) So it still counts. So I'm just thinking real time here. How's that rubbing you? Yeah, no, I... I I'm thinking about it too. And I, I think it's important to, to recognize that, you know, at any given moment in time, we kind of have two selves. There's two selves. There's your experiencing self and your remembering self. The, the experiencing self is always reading and reacting and moving forward. You know, that's the person that's looking um, out the, the windshield, driving the vehicle. You know, I see red lights in front of me, I break. You know, it's constantly reading, reacting, I'm moving forward. And then you have your remembering self, essentially the, uh, the rear view mirror, right? Mm-hmm. For some reason, when we're experiencing something, we're constantly taking information on board um, because it's necessary for survival. And then we put it into action immediately. But then when that moment gets categorized into the remembering self, we go back and we pull out the information again that's going to lead to our ultimate survival. So for some reason, that can lean us to go negative with some things because we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to challenge our, our, ourselves and I, I think being one, knowing that that's what's happening, I think can set you free. And then two, figuring out how to combat the specific enemy there. Um, and that little disqualifier that says, yeah, but yeah, but um, if you know that that's coming, you, you can take 
proactive stance in your mind, but like, no, I refuse that. Mm -hmm. This was something that worked out well and say it to yourself and practice it, right? Practice that. And eventually that thought will become a habit. Yeah. I like that. No, I refuse that. That's a good one. And, you know, we also had a great tip from this Stanford psychologist, BJ Fogg, who was talking about tiny habits and how it's so important when you do a little something to celebrate, you know, one way or another, it's just, it could be dorky or cheesy or corny. Give yourself a high five. Sometimes I will say flawless victory, like from the Mortal <laughs> Kombat video game. Yep. And then just to take a moment to feel good about what happened just reinforces that. So you're all the more likely to do it as opposed to beating yourself up for, you know, I said I was going to write for an hour, but it was really only 56 minutes because I had an urgent phone call. You know, it was like to whoever beats themselves up, I'd encourage you to be forgiving. The science is there that you're better off that way. Yeah, the world's mean enough. You don't have to yeah. be mean to yourself. <laughs> like you deserve better. You deserve better. And I, I think thankfulness is really, really the key. You know, like going back to, you know, when I was in, in Hell Week, I remember using that as a tool to where, you know, the sun's going down and you're sitting there in the cold water knowing it's going to be a long night. Well, I'd wanted to be a seal my entire life, you know? And I remember smelling the air and feeling the wind and, and just thinking, man, I'm finally here. I've been trying to get here for so long. And I was so thankful, man. Mm. I was so thankful that I didn't have room for the negativity to creep in. It, it made me resilient. And I think that's something that we can practice for the rest of our lives is when you, when you start feeling those disqualifiers instead, maybe look at it through a different lens and say, man, I'm so thankful that I had that experience. I'm thankful that that person stood up for me when I needed it. You know, I'm thankful that my body didn't fail me and I was able to get that done. You know, I'm thankful that my ITB band gave me some trouble because now I can adjust my training and, and be better, you know, like good. I'm glad that happened. Let's move on. Right. I'm particularly struck by your ability to summon the gratitude, the thankfulness right there in the moment. That's pretty cool in terms of you say, I'm finally here. And so that's really nifty to hit that. And I wonder how you can sort of systematize that. I've heard one person suggest you ask the question, what's great about this? Uh, you know, when you're in a pickle and that can sort of reorient your attention to things that you can be grateful for, like you're finally there. And I guess you could say that even if, geez, I'm imagining terrible scenarios. Like what if my kids were in the hospital, like fighting for their lives, right? I guess you could be grateful that you have those children, that you have formed such a, a loving bond that this matters a lot to you. So, anywho, I guess it also speaks to the power of the imagination and visualization right now because I'm kind of tearing up. Just this is a completely fictitious scenario that I am dreaming up. But you can find that gratitude just about anywhere. Well, I love your your level of empathy there to where, you know, you put a face on it and, you know, there's someone out there who's going through exactly that and who needs to hear it. So, yeah, it's good to, to understand the gravity of, of a situation. And, you know, Hey, if, if this works, we're talking about beating ourselves up even when things are going good, but yeah. What if legitimately life happens to you? What if, what if you're, you're on your back and you, you don't know how to get out? Um, what works then? You know, if, if it's this hard when everything's good, um, when you're in the meadow, how do you handle the mountaintop? How do you handle the climb? How do you handle the brutality of the environment? And I, you know, I went through a situation that made me really think about some stuff, man. When I, uh, I was contracting, working overseas, I loved it. I loved it. I was having a great time with it. I was exactly where I wanted to be. 
my schedule was pretty ridiculous. I was doing like two months on, two months off. So me and my wife bought a 35 foot RV and just started cruising around. (laughs) Just everything was good, man. And then life happened to me and I hurt my back. I ended up having to get a L5S1 fusion um, and I would never work in that capacity again. I came home. The doctor told me that things were changing and I had to go into surgery and it took a solid, you know, two years to recover. They, they advertise six months. They're lying to you. Mm. Um, you know, I lost my, my physicality. I didn't want to be addicted to, to opioids. So I got off those within a few weeks, but then I started drinking. So I was masking it with drinking. Now, nothing bad happened. I was able to pull away from that too, but still I'm, I'm sitting here. I lost my physicality. I looked terrible. Um, I lost my purpose in life. I lost my passion. I had no vision moving forward and I had to completely redefine myself. You know, life, life gave me a couple heavies and there was some other stuff that I won't get into at the time that fortunately doesn't involve my, my family. That probably would have been, you know, that would have been the kick to the groin that could have taken me to the floor. Um, but my, my wife, you know, was there for me and, and there with me and we kind of suffered together. Um, and I, I didn't know what to do. And that's kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. Like now when I'm looking back, it's kind of like when I, I talk a lot about mountain climbing, obviously, but you know, when you're climbing up the trail and there's all these switchbacks, sometimes, I mean, you can talk trash to the trail maker. You're like, what are you doing? Like, it's right there. Why don't we just go right there? And you're following these bends and switchbacks. And you're like, man, I don't get it. And then you get to the top and you look back and you see what the trail maker had in mind. Mm-hmm. You see that that switchback kept you from that chasm. You know, you were about to walk off a cliff and this saved you time and, and, and pain. Um, that's how it is for me looking back at that scenario specifically because, you know, there's like a saying, right? Like that, which I love will destroy me. And I think it applies really well to, um, to veterans because it's, it's a lot of fun belonging to a tribe, having a brotherhood, um, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose. It, it goes a long way. Um, and I don't think that I would have seen it. I think I would have stayed with it. Um, but because it was taken away from me, I have a better relationship with my wife. I'm around more for my kids and able to imprint on them. I've started going a different direction, um, professionally that is really next level. I'm starting to see like, what can I actually accomplish? What can I do? Even if my identity has changed, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I was fortunate that I was able to redefine that purpose. I said, okay, what was it? that kept me going? What was it that I enjoyed about what I was doing? And it always came back to this, to empathy, the desire to help others be better, the desire to teach. You know, I actually loved being an instructor when I was an instructor for a little while in the military. You know, I always really enjoyed that stuff. And I said, okay, well, that's something that I can move forward with. How do I develop that? And then a buddy of mine actually reached out to me, um, and was like, Hey, do you want to join me on this? Uh, let's go talk to a company. So I went and talked to a company. Like four weeks later, I was um, working with the Miami Heat basketball team. And I was like, wow, I can actually do this. This is something. And it, it injected me with that passion, with that fire. I was able to redefine my identity, but stay true to the purpose that had been consistent the whole time. Life happened to me. And I said, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to start happening to life. Mm-hmm. This is my turn now. That's good. That's good. Nick, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we hear about your favorite things. Um, man, I don't know. I feel good. I, this is fun. I, li- I like the uh, authenticity. This is great. How about a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring. Speaking of authenticity, I, I love John Madden, the great coach, John Madden. You know, 
he used to say that if you want longevity in this league, first you have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Now, he was talking about football, but I think that works in any, any context. If, if you want longevity, if you want to play the long game, you have to be authentic. Yeah. That's where you need to start. Then now there's more to it, right? Um, but that, that's where you need to start is that authenticity. And for me, I've really taken that to heart because now that I'm kind of getting more in public and stuff, keep in mind, my, my job used to be the silent professional. I used to lie to my neighbors about what I do for a living. And now all of a sudden I'm in the public eye doing talks, like writing books and all this stuff. It's, it's, it's weird for me. Um, and that's my commitment is to be authentic and to tell the truth, Mm -hmm. to be myself and not try to paint up an image that I should do because it worked for somebody else. You know, and I think that's something that we can all take and put into our lives. Like, how do I discover my authentic self? And then how do I unleash that on the world? Mm, that's great. And how about a favorite book? I, I have a lot of favorite books. So that's, that's probably the hardest question you could have asked me. Um, I think one of the books that's had the most impact in my life was Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. He writes about um, the Spartans at the hot gates of Thermopylae and how the 300 Spartans and their support um, were able to, to stop a Persian army of about 2 million for long enough for the, for the country to unite. You know, obviously, I can, spoiler alert here, but we've all seen 300. Um, you know, Leonidas, actually, the king gave his life and that rallied the rest of the city-states to join up and, and go to war together. And they crippled one of the most powerful empires in all of history. And the way that Stephen Pressfield writes it, it really shows what brotherhood looks like. It shows what a team should be. The fact that when you're sitting there in the phalanx, which was their um, alignment when they would meet the enemy, the shield of the person next to you is what's protecting you. Your shield is protecting the person next to you. Your shield isn't for you. Your shield is for your brothers and sisters, for your teammates. Um, that's such an impactful lesson that you see time and time in that book. I highly recommend that read. Mm-hmm. And how to favorite tool is something you use that helps you be awesome at your job? Uh, my AirPods. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I've been you know, plagued by wires. I, I spend a majority of my time professionally uh, communicating. And so a lot of it's on the phone. Um, and having the ability to be somewhat mobile with that. We're just so thank we're, we're so lucky to live in a time that you and I can connect from other sides of, of the world. You know, you can keep people close to you regardless of, of the proximity. Um, and I take full advantage of that. You know, I'm one of those people to where like, you, you can text me, sure, but I'm probably going to call you back. <laughs> I like, I like discussing, I like speaking. That's good. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your audiences? You know, going back to the mentorship piece, I think that's something that everyone can see up front. The story opens them up and they, um, they, they see it in practice at the highest level. And this is a, this is a great opportunity for me to kind of hit that again and say like, you know, mentorship, you got to find one, you got to be one. Um, you know, and in addition to that, I'll take it even one step further, but you know, the way you organize your relationships and your friends really does matter. And one thing that I, I highly recommend is yes, you have your close circle of friends, right? That, that group needs to be small. Um, it's a small group, but then, and of course you have your network, your expanding circle, right? But there's this circle in between that's, that's somewhere in between. What I like to call that is my personal board of advisors. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I've looked for people that are as different than me as possible. And then a few people that are very similar to me. 
um, different sexes, races, you know, anything that could be a potential silo, um, international, you know, whatever it is, like people that I really trust and connect with that are operating at a really high level. Um, and I asked them, I make it formal and I, I built this cabinet. If the president needs one, then maybe I should be doing it too, right? Mm-hmm. And I build this cabinet. So when I'm working through something, I can bounce ideas off of people that's going to give me a 360 degree approach to it. And I'm, it always illuminates stuff that I don't see. Different than mentorship. Right. But having a cabinet, having a personal board of advisors that is as diverse as possible in every sense of the world, uh, the word, takes your game to the next level, 100%. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, so on uh, all social media, I'm Nick Hayes Life, um, EliteTeams.com. That's, that's my, my company. I'm available for speaking and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out. You can DM me too. I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And you have a final challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right now in this moment, there's something that you could do that's going to make you a little bit more resilient. I don't know what that looks like, but whatever's intimidating you, whatever you've been holding back from, embrace that truth today. Get out there and make that happen so that you can celebrate a win and then move into tomorrow looking for another win. Mm-hmm. Nick, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for sharing the good word and good luck in your adventures. Pete, thank you so much, man. This was fun. I really resonated with two gems from Nick about being able to keep it going when you're in a tough situation. I I like what he said. They can't keep this up forever or they're going to have casualties. And then within that moment to find gratitude, like, whoa, I'm really here. I'm doing this. I am in the midst of my dream, even though it is physically painful and it hurts. You can find the gratitude there and to celebrate even those tiny movements, one more rep and that's a victory. And you can feel good about having done that. And then one more, you can feel good about having done that instead of having to wait for years, months, weeks, days, hours to celebrate. It's just in a couple of seconds. Hey, another one, victory. I am all the more winning as a result of having done that thing in that second, and we can do it again. Pretty cool way to change it around. So it's building you up instead of tearing you down and just brutally exhausting you. So Cool tips from Nick. I hope you dug it and can put them to use when you're in a tricky situation that you find yourself maybe a bit in over your head. And again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep452. If you haven't already, I hope you'll punch subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It is David Epstein. David is an impressive best-selling author and uh, TED talker, and he's got great Gems of counterintuitive research, wisdom, insight when it comes to being a generalist, having range as opposed to hyper specializing and the advantages of doing just that. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.